If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of James. And remember, this book is a, a book of gospel wisdom, okay? So it's not just some sort of wisdom that you're going to get from the world, okay? Uh, some cute little catchphrases or whatever, whatnot. It goes much deeper than that. The, the type of wisdom that James is going to espouse is the type of wi- wisdom that actually changes eternity, And it happens right here in the temporary, all right? Uh, Another way to look at the book of James is this, because it's so practical. Some would call James really, really living out our real faith in a real world. Now think about what that means, okay? Really living out, not fake, not just being hearers only, but being doers as well. Living out, really living out our real faith in a real world. And as you go through the book of James, the last time we talked in James, I mentioned James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Uh, I propose to you that that's kind of the thesis, all right? That's the main idea for this book. And for the rest of this book, James is going to expound on this, the, these two verses here and kind of flesh them out. So that you and I could understand what he means by what religion is. Now when James uses the word religion, keep this in mind. He's not talking about an empty, dry, uh, orthodox that, that, that causes no joy whatsoever kind of religion that some of us have experienced in the here and now. Okay, He's talking about a religion that is based solely on a living and outgrowth of a faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all right? A faith that breathes, a faith that walks. And so when he uses the term religion, see it that way. He's talking about someone who has a real faith uh, in a real God in a real world. So let's go to these verses. James 1, 26 and 27 says this, If anyone thinks he's religious, a faithful person for Christ, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue... But deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We're going to talk a lot about that in chapter 3. Then he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Okay, Serving those who cannot really serve you in return. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Knowing that our God is holy, we are to also live as people who are like our Father. So to put it succinctly, true faith is evidenced not by perfection. All right? If, if you hear perfection in this, you've missed the point. Because no matter how old you are, no matter how long you have known Christ, you are always a work in progress. All right? And that's a good thing. Because think about it. If you ever got to that point of perfection, you may totally trip up by not trusting in him anymore, okay? So we are all in this process, the Bible calls it, of sanctification, being made holy. One day we're going we're gonna to be there. One day we're going to see Christ face to face. Every one of you who have called upon the name of the Lord to forgive you of your sin, to give you not just heaven, okay, but to give you God, as your father, Jesus, as your brother, eternal life, not only in the hereafter, but in the right here and now. Knowing that you're going to go through ups and downs, hills and valleys, roller coaster rides, and you're going to know that God's presence is with you always to give you a strength in the midst of your greatest weakness. It's going to give you peace in the most chaotic days of your life. And you're going to know that God is with us. 
What a truth we have as believers. So your faith is evidence not by perfection, but by progress in these three areas. Number one, your communication. Okay, you're going you're gonna to be someone who speaks life, blessing instead of death and cursing. You're going to have compassion. You're going to serve those who need you versus serving those who will only help you. And by your conduct. Your conduct as a believer is going to be marked by humility because you know that you're spiritually poor without Him. And so you'll have compassion and mercy and grace towards others because you've been showed that type of compassion. So you won't have uh, the buildup of pride and judgmentalism, jealousy and selfish ambition. Those things will pop up, but you'll be able to cool those down as you grow more and more in your love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's begin. Let's begin here. James chapter 2 verse 1 says this. My brothers. So if it says my brethren or my brothers, who's he talking to? All right, he's talking to believers, right? So James is already talking to the believers in the church. My brothers, show no partiality. Show no partiality. What in the world does that mean? Partiality in the Greek is actually two words put together. Partiality means this. To receive, okay, to receive something. But what is it to receive? To receive face. To receive face. Listen to what this means. To receive someone's face is to show acceptance of a person when you see who it is. Catch that? You know, you're like, I don't know if I want to help this person, but when I see their face, oh yeah, I know you, I'll help you. Meaning that there has to be some, uh, some hurdles that people need to go through. There needs to be uh, certain types of classes or whatever the case may be in order for you to accept a person. This is called favoritism. Now that sounds way too positive. So I'm not going to use that word today. Let, let, let's go to what the depths of what this is. This is discrimination. This is discrimination that, uh, that James is telling us to, to not have. My brothers, show no partiality. It's saying, brothers, Christians, do not discriminate. Now, if you didn't get it from last time we talked, James is pretty blunt, isn't he? He's pretty blunt. So I want to, before I go any further, tell you this. This book is amazing, but it's also, uh, it's, it's like going through Return to Holiness again. Okay? It's tough stuff. And so what I want to do is I'm not going to shy away from this. I'm going I'm to lay out to you uh, the demands of Christ for each and every one of the believers. And from that, hopefully what it's going to do, it's going to cause us to examine ourselves to see two things. Number one, am I loving Christ like I should or do I even know Christ? And so with those two things as a backdrop knowing that I love you. Let's walk through this passage and see what God has to say to each and every one of us. Partiality. Why is it wrong? Here's the problem of discrimination. The problem of discrimination is this. Number one, discrimination is against the very nature of God. It's not in Him. The problem of discrimination is that it is, it is against God's very nature. Look at verse 1 again. And let's look at the whole verse this time. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you do this. As you hold 
the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't, don't, do not discriminate as you hold that faith, as you proclaim to the world, I am Christ's and he is mine. He died for me. He chose me, not of any good in myself. Okay, God was impartial and he chose me. If you claim to be a Christian, you cannot have discrimination because that's not how you got saved by discrimination. And the proof of the heart of God is these verses right here. Let's walk through some. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. I'm going to run through them a little fast, so if you want to take notes, that's fine. Uh, We may not have time to turn to each and every one of them. But listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Moses says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial... And he takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. The heart of God, no partiality. In Job chapter 34 verse 19, listen to what Job says. It says, he who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor. Okay, so God doesn't have some sort of a checkpoint to get to heaven. To where say, okay, what was your, what was your yearly income? Uh, sorry, you're not going to be a benefit to me, so move it along, move it along. God's not like that at all. He shows no partiality. He doesn't favor the rich over the poor. In Mark chapter 12, the scripture says that they came to Jesus. Now, these were people who were trying to trap Jesus. And even in the midst of their trappings, they proclaimed the truth about who Jesus was. It says, they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Wow. In other versions, it says, uh, we know that you're true and you don't care about anybody. Now, what that means is not that he doesn't care. What he's saying is he doesn't make a distinction between one person or the other. God shows no partiality. And then 2 Peter 3.9, if, if nothing else has, has wooed you to the fact that God is impartial, listen to this. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow or he's not slack. To fulfill his promises as some would count slowness. But God is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish. There's no exceptions there. I don't want anyone to perish except for the... No, he doesn't want anyone to perish. But that all should reach repentance. All should get to a point when when they're confronted with the good gospel of Jesus Christ. That they would repent. That they would turn and come to God. That is the heart of God. He's an impartial God. So discrimination is against the very nature of God. And listen, you, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, if you hold to the faith, as the scripture says, the Lord of glory, you need to do it with no partiality. Because discrimination is not in the nature of God. That needs to be a distinction between you and your growing nature with the Lord. That needs to be a distinctive in our lives. 
Because if you discriminate and you call yourself a believer, what you're doing is you're painting a false picture to the world of the heart of God. So discrimination, it's, not, it's against the nature of God. Number two, discrimination. You may think, ah, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just kind of serving one over another, no big deal. No, it is a big deal because discrimination really is judgmentalism. Okay? It's very judgmental. Look at chapter 2 of James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Here it comes. Here's the illustration of what this looks like. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, Hey, you sit here in a good place. All right. You sit in a place where, you know, it used to be, looking this up in the commentaries, here's what used to be the case. The best place in the house was in the front few rows. Now it's the back rows. Here's where you can get out really quickly. Okay. I guess. But they would cause this person who looks the part, okay, looks like someone we want to have in our church, the usher puts this person in a place of prominence, in in a place of respect. But let's read on. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there, don't even give him a seat, or you sit down by my feet. Another way of saying that is, you be in a place that's the least distracting. You be in a place that will be less offensive for our members or for our other guests. That's what he's saying here. Listen to how this verse finishes, verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts or evil intentions? Wow. Question. How does someone weigh the worth of an individual? How does someone weigh the worth of an individual? Well, here's how many times the world does this. Rich, poor. Black, white. Republican, Democrat. Kind, rude. Southerner, northerner. Traditional, contemporary. Clean, dirty. Pure, impure. Saved and lost. There's some questions that we need to really ask ourselves here. Because we don't want to walk out here deceived. James says that three times in chapter 1... For fear that you may deceive, may, may be deceived, I need to share this truth with you. Do you weigh the worth of an individual based on personal preference or distinctions? Do you weigh the worth of an individual based on these things? Then don't get this holier than thou. Oh, not me. That's not me at all. Okay. Person A comes to our church this is a person that looks a lot like you 
Person B comes into the church. This person doesn't look a thing like you. Which one are you most willing to speak to? Which are you most willing to invite to your small group? Which are you most willing to say, come sit by me? Person A makes us look better, right? Person B seemingly has no benefit. Now probably drain our resources. If that's you, listen, your value system is not based on the glorious gospel. It's based on what you think can make your life better. Or what you think can make your church better. Let me ask you, is that how God chose you? Is that how God chose you? I heard one pastor say this. Listen, if you're so amazing, because I was that kind of person that uh, growing up, you know, we had uh, sports outside in, the, in the, the lawn. We don't have that nowadays. Right now, our sports are boo, 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 okay? And, and kids don't know how to go outside. They don't have shorts uh, unless they maybe, you know, drop down a little bit. on, But that's another story another time. Uh, but now, think about it. Back then, in the 80s and 90s, when I was growing up, we used to have pickup basketball and everything going on. And what usually would happen is we'd, we'd shoot to see who's the captain, right? And usually the two best shooters were captains, and they'd pick teams. And in the midst of picking teams, you're thinking to yourself, you're looking around, oh, man, I'm going to get picked last again. You know, because everyone is looking for the best player on their team so that they could win, right? That just makes sense. That's not how God chose you. God didn't look at your life and say, you know what? If I had that person on my team, wow. I'll be honest with you. I think that way sometimes. There's some people uh, that are high-profile people that in some ways have the same philosophy that I may have. I think of people like, like maybe Ben Shapiro or something like that. I thought, man, if that person gets saved, if that person gets saved, boy, this world would be rocked. Thank God he doesn't think that way. See, I wasn't in heaven. I wasn't last one picked. Everyone, everyone who receives Christ, I want to tell you something. You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Not because of any good in you, but because how great God is. You see, God doesn't need you to win. God's going to win the game on his own. Okay? He just, because of his love, he wants us to join in on that celebration. He wants you at the celebration. If you're willing to give him your life. So you say to yourself, wow. I know God chose me because I'm great. Let me ask you this. If God chose you because you're great, show us your fruit. Show us your fruit. Show us the lasting, eternal difference that you are making in your awesomeness. How many people are you, since you're so amazing, how many people are you winning to Christ? How many people are you walking one-on-one or one-on-three, pouring your life into them, and they're also doing the same thing? Listen, I don't know about you, but man, I need Jesus every day. I'm not awesome on my own. As a matter of fact, with Christ, he's still awesome through me. I'm just a glove. I'm just a vessel. And so are you, if you're honest. So praise God that God was not judgmental. Number three, discrimination 
is illogical. It shouldn't make sense to you. There's a lot of, I'm going to make up a word here, illogistic ability going on in our world today. There really is. There are things that are coming out of Congress, uh, out of government officials, and I'm like, did you really think before you spoke on that? I mean, did you go home, look in the mirror, and and speak it out loud before you said that in front of the public? Because there's some weird stuff going on, some illogical things that are going on in our world today. Things that people choose to believe, and and it's because they feel this way, and they do not want to get distracted by the facts. You know what I'm talking about? And so discrimination is like that. It's very illogical. Listen to what James goes on to say here in verse 5 through 7. Just use that word illogical. Think about the illogicability of this. Again, awesome word. Listen, my beloved brothers, church people, people who who claim to have this faith. Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he had promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Think about it. Think about the illogicability of this. You are shunning the poor person that God says, I'm going to display my riches to them. You're you're shunning the people that God is wanting to lift up. That's illogical. Let's read on because it gets worse. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich people, the ones that you're lifting up, okay, the ones that you're giving preference to, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable, the glorious name by which you were called? Listen, discrimination is illogical because, listen, we try to impress those who don't care about us. Will Rogers said it so well. He said, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Wow. We focus our entire lives trying to impress people who oppress us. I know that happens at school. I've been there. Now, to those who just graduated, I'm here to tell you, everything changes. I wish I could tell this to every person in middle school and high school. When that tassel changes, it doesn't matter who was the prom king or queen. <laughs> it doesn't. That, that, that stuff goes away when the tassel moves. Now it's reality. I've been there. Have you been there to like a, a, a class reunion 10 years later? There's some people who are still living like they're seniors in high school, thinking they're all this and that, and you're just like, dude, move on, Okay. You should get a job, get out of mama's house, you know? It's crazy. But think about how illogical this is. People try to impress the, the head cheerleader or the quarterback, or they try to do all this stuff, and those are the very people who oppress you. That happens today. You're always trying to impress maybe superiors, and they're just using you as a stepping stone. It's illogical. These are the very people who, James says, drags you into court and blasphemes God. You know, in your attempt to impress those people, you suppress who you are. Right? If discrimination is against the heart of God and the heart of God is in you, then if you're discriminating, then you're suppressing the very nature of who you are are supposed to be. So you're not even living the life that you're called to live 
And more than likely, and I'll tell you, actually, it's, it's, it's eating you alive. It's depressing you from within. It's hard to live something you're not, isn't it? And that's what we do when we try to discriminate, when we try to lift people up, certain people and not others. It's illogical. It's also illogical because we treat poorly those who have the greatest potential for spiritual influence. Think about this for a moment. It's the people who have been poor, the people who have been downtrodden. Those are the people, when they're confronted with Christ and they receive Christ, Jesus says, those who were forgiven much, what do they do? They love much. Now listen, I don't know where you're at on the political climate, but one thing that scared me during the, um, the pre-election, all the stuff going on, uh, when, when our president, President Trump, now I hope that, and I believe that he may have changed his mind since then, but they asked him about his faith. You know, again, this was before the election. They asked him about his faith and about forgiveness. He says, I don't need to ask forgiveness for anything because I haven't done anything wrong. Those are the people we, we impress. We try to impress them who will, except for a regenerated heart, will oppress. Because it's all about getting to the next level. Now, I have heard since then he has come to know Christ and praise God for that. And matter of fact, today is a day that we're to pray for our president. Uh, Dr. Franklin Graham mentioned that. And so we need to always be praying for him. Whether you agree or disagree with him, we're to pray for our president. That's biblical. First Timothy chapter 2. We're to pray for our leaders. So what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you lifting up people who are tearing you down? Or do you have an opportunity to lift up those people who, who can and who will glorify God for the rest of their life? Now, I'm going to give a warning right here. Here's not what, what James is saying, all right? Before you go any further, before some of you guys are like, dude, I'm actually doing pretty well. This church must hate me. No, we love rich people, okay? We're big fans, all right? James is not telling you to take your discrimination off of poor people or off of rich people and, and put it on to poor people, okay? Only love poor people. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying no discrimination, Okay? We are to love everybody. We're to give everyone an opportunity to hear and to respond to the gospel in the greatest way possible. Who deserves the best seat in the house? Jesus. Who's second place? There better be crickets. That's how we need to treat each other. Always looking to the good of those others above ourselves. Number four. Discrimination, why we shouldn't discriminate? Because it's unloving. It's not the heart of God we talked about earlier, but listen, this is point blank. James is really point blank on this stuff. It is unloving. James 2 verse 8 says this, if you really fulfill the royal law, that's the law of the king, all right? According to the scripture, it says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, then you're doing well. All right, you're doing well. What are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 22? Love your God with what? That's exactly right. Love Jesus with all your... And that's absolutely right. Love him with everything you are. And the second is like it. Love 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Good. What you just proved is that you're a hearer of the word. Here's the question. Are you a doer of the word? Are you loving your neighbor? To which we ask, who is my neighbor? Let me ask it a different way. Who is not your neighbor? Who is not your neighbor? Charles Swindoll says it this way. He's a pastor in Texas. He says, if there is one place where partiality should be broken down, it is in our places of worship. Discrimination over color, political persuasion, financial status, fashion, or appearance does not belong in the church, either inside or outside its doors, either public or private. And that is so true. So I ask you, if I were to ask each and every one of you individually, I want to ask you these two questions. It's really one question, but it's formed two different ways. Number one, who are you discriminating against? Who are you discriminating against? And since I said, and of course the scripture says, that uh, discrimination is, is not loving, let me word the, the question differently. Who do you hate? Who do you hate? I don't hate anybody. Who are you discriminating against? Well, If you put it that way, whoever that is, you're saying you hate them. That's that's what what we're talking about here. It is hate. Quit sugarcoating it with little words like, well, I don't hate anyone, but I favor these people. It's hate. Anyone that you would rather give the gospel to than somebody else's hate. How much do you have to hate somebody? To restrict heaven from them. It's hate. That is antithesis to the, to the heart of God. Who do you hate? Number five. Discrimination is sinful. Again. Duh, right? Discrimination is sinful. Look at verse eight. <clears throat> If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you commit adultery, but you don't murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Wow. Clicks in a church will never reach the masses. Clicks in a church will never reach masses. Here's what this verse is saying. Imagine this scene, okay? It's ludicrous. It's illogical. But imagine this scene. You're in a courtroom, and there's some guy who's been guilty of killing a whole family. And they're in this courtroom, and the evidence clearly points to this person being the guilty party. In his own testimony, he practically admits to it all in great detail, okay? 
Everything is pointing clearly that this man is guilty of murder, of murdering an entire family. And just before the sentence is given, the man stands up and says, can I say one thing? And they're like, sure, go ahead. And he says, I just want everyone to know that I've been married for 28 years. And in those 28 years, I never cheated on my wife. Thank you. Do you think the jury's going to come back and say, well, that's kind of good, isn't it? Maybe we should rethink our guilty verdict. How many of you think they're going to change their mind? Raise your hand. But isn't that what we do to God? God, I'm, I think I'm doing okay with those Ten Commandments. You know, I haven't, haven't cursed you today. Um, I haven't had impure thoughts. Oh, just did. Never mind. <laughs> Starting now, I haven't had. Okay, we, we can play that game with God, and God would just be like, but are you loving your neighbor? Well, no, not that part. What James is saying is if you fulfill the whole law except one point, basically you're saying, God, I choose of my own will, my own volition, to rebel against you in this area. Do you think God's going to overlook that? Do we want God to overlook that? Well, sure, you personally. But you don't want God to overlook someone sinning against you, right? I think many times we look at God's law like maybe a deck of cards or dominoes, two things Baptists never do. Just kidding. Uh, okay, you, you, may, you may miss a card and you're like, well, technically we can still play the game with one card missing. Eh, maybe. Or dominoes. You may still play a game of dominoes with one domino missing. That's sometimes how we think about God's law. I, I'm doing pretty good with nine of them, but the tenth one, eh, I need a little work on. That's not an accurate picture of God's law. His picture is more like a window, okay? If you throw a ball into a window, you're not going to look and say, well, 50% of it's okay, so we're good. No, you got to replace the whole window, right? And that's how God's law is. It's a unified whole. Either you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, or you don't. That's what James is trying to say here. Don't justify yourself because you do some things well and other things you think God will just overlook. It's the very thing that we're overlooking, loving our neighbor. Whoever that is, everybody that is causing the world to see the church just like everybody else. Discrimination is sinful. One commentator says, James does not teach that to commit one sin such as murder or adultery is to be guilty of every other individual sin listed. He views the law as an expression of God's will, which is an unfragmented whole, so that the breaking of any part of the law constitutes a breaking of the law as a whole. To disregard God's will as revealed in the law is not merely to break an isolated rule, it is to rebel against God himself. Listen, to God, sure, all sin is sin. And yes, if you are a Christ follower, you are saved. You are forgiven from your sin. You're dead to the law for this. You're dead to the law for a right standing with God. 
All right, we're going to talk more. We're going to really flesh this out next time we meet at the last part of chapter two. But listen, some of us have this crazy idea that salvation consists of this. Faith plus works equals salvation. Okay? That's not the gospel. Okay? Works has nothing to do with your salvation. The true formula is this. Faith plus salvation should equal good works. We do the good works not to attain anything from God. We do the works as an appreciation for what God has done for us in Christ. If we can grasp the truth of that, then God's law is not some stony piece of, of law written, you know, like, like the Ten Commandments that is weighty and we have to hold around and it's an obligation. But instead, when you come to know Christ, His law is on your heart, right next to your passions and your desires, and you want to obey Him. Why? Because you love Him. You're not trying to earn anything or deserve anything. He has already paid the price, and now I Honor him with my works and with my deeds because I love him. But listen, for those who are struggling now, Scott, you don't know the people I hate. You don't know what maybe they've done to my family. You don't know what they've done to whatever the case may be. Let me ask you a question. Were you saved to live like a lost person? Or did God save you? Did God become your master so that he can teach you how to live a better way? So that he can show you his way of life on earth and eternal life in heaven. Let's apply everything that we've talked about as we wrap up. We're going to apply this law of love. Look at verse 12 and 13. James 2, 12 and 13. James says, after all that we've just said, so now we are to speak and to act. As those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me just wrap up this. the, the, The gospel. Okay. The wisdom of the gospel in all of this. Jesus. The one who paid the ultimate price for your sin. For your shame. For your death and your hell has every right to tell us what to do. He has every right to tell us what to do. And you know what God does with all of that power? He tells you to love. He tells you to love. No other God does that. I mean, if I were God, I'd be... I paid that kind of price for you. You better shine my shoes every day, you know, or something like that. We come up with some weird rules. But God says, no, here's what I want you to do. All the law, love me with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God tells us to do. That's not a bad deal. His love brought us to himself. Let's take it a step further. The love of the church brought you to himself. Someone told you about the love of God in Christ. Someone loved you enough to tell you the gospel. Someone did not discriminate against you. 
And because of that love, you're here today. And listen, your love for your neighbor will bring many to Christ. Not all, but it'll bring them to Christ. Let's look at the verse again. So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. It's the law of freedom, not captivity. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Y'all ever hear in a passage where Jesus was teaching people to pray? And he says in the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven others. This is exactly what James is talking about. Listen, if, if you choose not to forgive other people, should we really expect God to forgive us? Because the very forgiveness of God totally outweighs any wrong that has ever been done to us. Think about the wrongs that were put on Christ. All of my sin, all of your sin, all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. The sin beginning in the Garden of Eden to the very last sin before Jesus comes on that, on that great horse and, he, and, he, and the trumpets come and, and all the celebration happens. He died for all of that sin. And he forgives anyone who would trust in his name. And we're like, yeah, but this person dented my car. Just as we are told to forgive as we have been forgiven, James is saying we are to show mercy as we have been given mercy. Listen, if you truly have received mercy from God, mercy received demands mercy given. Mercy received demands mercy given. To which some of us may say, again, there's some people I don't really respect not really like, what if I choose not to show mercy? There's really two responses here. Number one, you have at best, if you are choosing to hate somebody, you are choosing at best, you have forgotten what you've been saved from. That's at best. And you need to go back to the moment that you were saved and ask yourself, God, what's going on in my heart? Why am I not loving like you love me? You need to do a heart check, a real heart check here. If you have discrimination against someone, you need to go back to the beginning. That's at best. Or option two, today is your invitation to receive his mercy by receiving Jesus Christ today. You're not giving mercy because you've not been given mercy. You've never received Christ. You're playing the religious, cold, empty, hollow religious game and you've done it all your life. How about drop that weight? Come to the one who gives you what you've been wanting. What your religion has been failing to do for you. And receive the only one who can give you the freedom you desire. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A commentator says this. Mercy triumphs over judgment just as love triumphs over partiality. 
So I ask you, have you received, have you really received God's mercy? Have you given your life over to him? Have you trusted in Jesus to forgive you of all your sins? If not, I'm telling you, there's going to be people here in the front who would love to talk to you about how you can know that you know that you've received the mercy and grace of God in Christ Jesus. Christians, are you trusting? Are you obeying Christ? Listen, if you've been here for any length of time, you have enough information to know how to live. You've been a hearer of the word. Are you a doer of the word? You can quote the commands of God. Are you walking the commands of God? Is there a hatred in your heart towards a person or a people group? Listen, if you want that to get away from you, you need to, even as believers, you need to come again to Christ. Come again and ask Him to give you the impartial love that He gave you when He received you as as a child of God. With that said, let's pray. Father God, we're lost without you. But God, with you is life. God, you chose us when we were unchoosable. No one here deserves the mercy, the grace, the kindness that you have bestowed on everyone who has called upon your name. How dare we deny the same grace and mercy that we have been freely given? God, I pray that you would do a heart check. I didn't say everything right. Uh, I would have misquoted. I may have even uh, created words and all this kind of stuff. But God, you're deeper than that. Your Holy Spirit uh, speaks and interprets exactly what our heart and soul need to hear. So God, I beg, I plead that if there's someone here who has anger in their heart or they have preference over one person or another, if someone (coughs) would be shaken, if someone came into this church who didn't look like them, God, today you would set them free from the sin of discrimination. God, that they would have the boldness to call upon you to free them of those chains. God, in this very moment, please do the work that only you can do. Please save, please heal, please restore for the glory of your name, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Please do the work that